I'm going to talk about what God's desire is for you. And it's kind of a New Year's message, but not. And, and so, uh, you know, because we did pass into 2024, pretty wild. Those of you who have been in the church a while, Jesus was going to come a long time ago. So we just need to occupy till he comes, like he said. But, you know, we cross into the new year and, you know, the new year can be magical, but there's really no magic in it. You know, uh, when I mean magical, you know, fireworks, we celebrate some people. It's a time to go, man, I'm glad that's in the past, you know, the year before. Others are like, you know, the new year thinking, oh, look at all these great things that happened in the past. But it is an opportunity to dream about the future, to reevaluate things, make sure our perspective is kind of aligned correctly. And so the new year can be good, but we don't want to think, you know, that if the calendar date crosses a certain line, and everything doesn't change, then that year is lost. We'll wait till the next New Year's at 12 o'clock. And if everything changes, we're going to have a good year. And, and I don't mean to sound bad, but sometimes people can have that mystical, and I'm talking Christians, a mystical approach toward the new year. I, I know I had this in my early Christian walk. I, somehow I adopted some weird mystical ideas. Somebody might think I still have some, but I'm getting rid of them and uh, trying to keep the right thing and moving with the, you know, getting rid of the wrong. And, and some of my things were, you know, I would read the Bible and see all these supernatural things happen. And I thought, well, if they're just going to happen, they are just going to happen and God's going to do it or he's not going to do it. And then if it doesn't happen, well, then it wasn't God. And if it did, it was God. And I still remember the day that the minister was preaching about Jesus being in the temple as a teenager and, uh, you know, and then I remember him sharing the story after he had been tempted and then went into the temple and it said the scrolls or the book of Isaiah was given to him and it said he opened it up and he found the place that was written. I had heard that probably a few times within the first several months I was saved, but I was so befogged by... Uh, a mystical idea. And this is what I thought. I thought Jesus was handed the book and he opened and it fell open to Isaiah 61 and he just read, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Like it just happened. And then I realized, I remember the day I heard it. He found the place. I mean, it just didn't accidentally happen. I thought it was part of this big mystical thing that God is just going to do something and, and you just kind of roll with it. And then I remember I would hear uh, about church history, some modern church history, and I lived in the city of Azusa, and they talk about this Azusa Street Revival had nothing to do with the city, but it was in downtown L.A., and people would talk about this, how that really a lot of the Pentecostal roots and different groups came out of this experience where 
thousands of people would come. At different times, the fire department got called on, on their meetings because there would be flames that would appear on the roof and the building wouldn't burn. And it's documented in the city that there, some of the buildings are preserved, some of them are gone. And um, I had always heard that at the turn of the century, at midnight, it just started happening. And uh, people, there were documented healings and bunches of them. And I thought, wow, you know, at midnight, at the turn, you know, 1899, the year 1900, and boom, it just started happening. And it was just kind of God. And I would hear people talk about it. And this is prevalent in the church today or has been in the church because I know that being in Southern California, when it turned 2000, besides turning your computer off, if you're not old enough, you have no clue, but get money out of the bank. Everything's Y2K. But they did this, these, these meetings and at a certain time in the Coliseum called Azusa Street. They're going to have it again. It's going to happen, and we got to do it at this time. And they went, and there are tens of thousands of people, and nothing happened. Now, not that nothing happened. Because anytime people are gathered together and start worshiping God and preaching the word and doing certain like, things like that, God's going to do things, but it wasn't like that. And I had this mystical approach. It was like God was up there and he had finally filled up this container and he said, hey, look at that group down there and just poured it on them. And they went, whoa, at midnight. Then as I started to study, I found out it didn't happen at the year 1900. It started in 1906. Well, that burst my bubble. And it didn't happen at the first day of the year. So now I'm confused. But the idea is this. There are not magical things. Now, things can be magical, so to speak, but there's not magic or, well, we just wait and something happens. But, but God does want to do things. And, and if, like I said, if it didn't start off and all of a sudden we're like a week into the new year, it's our first Sunday morning, and we haven't seen some whoa outpouring where everybody's all over the floor and people are crying out for mercy and anybody comes near the building, they're like, we need Jesus. Well, we'll wait till next year and see what happens. No, that's that mystical idea of certain things. And... Um, so we're going to read a verse of scripture that kind of should be the approach to all of us. And I will say this, God does want our life to advance this year. God wants people who need a miracle to get a miracle. He wants people who are lost to get saved. But it's not going to be a mystical thing. Are you with me? Or magical or magic, but it might look magical, you know, I mean, maybe you went somewhere for New Year's Eve and they had glimmering lights and you, you know, went, oh, it's so magical. I understand that and that stuff's all great. 
But I'm saying the calendar doesn't make certain things happen or not happen, per se. Are you with me? So do this with me. Turn to 1 John, way back in the back of your Bible, or 3 John, actually. 3 John, verse 2, and we're going to begin reading here. But people who have a relationship with God, this is kind of the approach I think we should take. I believe what we're about to read should be foundational, a a build-off of Scripture. This should be rooted early in people, and it may not be rooted in people. People may have heard this and forgot this is there, but this is kind of what will make 2024 uh, begin to blossom, and where we can see more and it will, it, it's kind of like a springboard or something to build off of. It's, it will fortify a person. It will help them to approach life different if they have this in place. Are you ready? Third John, it's one chapter right before the book of Jude, which is one chapter right before the book of Revelation. And the second verse says this, Beloved, I pray. And that word pray there doesn't necessarily mean let's pray, let's all bow our heads and pray. It's, it's more desire. Beloved, so he's writing to these people who are saved. He said, beloved, I pray or I desire that you may prosper. Whoa. That you may prosper in all things. So could 2024 be better? According to God, that's his design. That doesn't mean I won't be persecuted. It doesn't mean people are going to love that I'm a Christian. But God wants me to prosper. He said, in all things, and notice this, and be in health, just as your soul prospers. The reason I say this is fundamental, because some people won't expect better. One thing about, you know, because they'll just think, well, I'm saved and, you know, I don't want to put a lot of pressure on God. I know a lot of people are asking him for things and, um, or, you know, I don't know what God, if God really wants me to have this, this, or this, or this, and therefore when I approach God or live life, I'm just not sure if I'm allowed to succeed. I've known very good Christians who have said, you know, my business, God just took it away from me, and God didn't take it away from them. Are you with me? And they have this idea that maybe God is not wanting them to prosper in every area. Now, don't hear me say prosperity and think I said money only. That doesn't exclude money. But it doesn't mean money only. Are you with me? He wants you to... I mean, if you have all the money in the world, but you're locked up in prison, you may have a better TV than somebody else in prison, but you're still in prison. You're not prospering in all areas. So money is not a cure-all, and God knows that. But money is not evil. Are you with me? The Bible said the love of money is the root of evil or all kinds of evil. And it says, and those who covet after it 
pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Then a few verses later, it says those who will be rich must be rich in good works and willing to give. In other words, keep away from being covetous when it comes to money, not don't have it. But God wants us to prosper in all areas. Every aspect. Wouldn't it, how many of you would believe that if you grew up in religion, you knew this, but maybe you didn't know it? Maybe you were trained that this was true, but didn't know you were trained that this was true. How many of us learned to pray when we were little and we said, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of us prayed that? I mean, it looks like a lot of hands went up. Yeah, your will be done on earth as it is. How many of you know when we get to heaven, we're only going to prosper in one way? Streets of gold, mansions, only that's it. No, it said there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. I mean, the list goes on. It will be incredible in every way. And Jesus said, pray that his will would come to pass in earth like it's happening in heaven. The problem with earth is we live in a fallen world where there's light and dark and in heaven there's none. But that doesn't mean God doesn't want it in the earth and that we can cooperate with it. One of the first things about this being a foundational thing in the believer is to have our approach from here. What do you mean here? He wants me to succeed. He wants you to succeed in what you do at work. He wants you to succeed in, in your family, in, in whatever you do. Even in the pleasures of life, he wants you to succeed. In all things, relationships, he wants you to succeed. Every area. But remember, we live in a fallen world. But if I don't start out thinking he wants me to succeed, and you, you can think through scriptures when he wrote the book of Psalms to all of his people. He said, if you meditate in the word day and night, he said, you'll make your way prosperous. You'll have good success. Well, why would he give you a way to have it if he didn't want you to get it? So God is good toward us all. Mistakes or not. Now, we shouldn't think, oh, well, big deal about mistakes and make light of it. We'll just keep doing wrong. But he still loves us. And he wants good for us. And when he said, beloved, I would that you would prosper and be in health, I need to approach life like he wants good for me. He wants me to uh, succeed in whatever I do. If it's at work, he wants me to succeed. He's for me in that. I remember growing up, uh, they had started making, you know, different rules like you have to hire this many minorities. And I remember my dad would go to work with this guy, and he was a Hispanic guy, and they would ride together. And as a little kid, I remember this. Uh, his name was Al Solis, and he and my dad waited for him one day as he went for this interview within the company, and he left, and when he got in the car, he told my dad, he said, I don't know if I'm going to get that. And he said, I always get promoted because I'm Hispanic, and they have to promote a certain amount. He said, the problem is there is another Hispanic. 
Think of his mentality. Now, you might not hear what I'm saying. We should have that mentality. Oh, I'm a Christian. Good success. Uh Uh-oh, there's another Christian. Well, they're up for good success, but like Billy Graham said, we don't have to uh, be bothered, or it was Reinhard Bonnke, about the success of others. You know, if we're all sailing ships, there's enough wind for everybody's sail. Are you with me? So we don't have to be bothered if, if uh-oh, you know, man, I get to go, I'm, I'm the only Christian in this situation. Ha-ha. <laughs> uh-oh, there's another one. No, there's enough for both of us, or however many. And so we need to have that kind of approach like God wants me to succeed. But could you imagine there are people who would hear this and argue with this? And even Jesus taught, I want my will done on earth as it is in heaven. And he told us, in my father's house are many mansions and I'm going to prepare a place for each one of you so each one of us have a mansion. He didn't say, in my father's house, there's a lot of mansions and a few tents, and some of you are going to get it. It was a universal thing to his will. Are you with me? And so when he said, beloved, I pray or desire that you prosper in all things, don't think of this as only money. But don't exclude money. And don't always evaluate yourself where you're at right now and judge I'm succeeding or failing. That's dangerous. Because if a farmer evaluates his field based on a farmer who planted six months before and goes, it's not working for me. No, they just, you planted, it's just, you got to give it time to come up. Well, they got all these ears of corn and they're harvesting and I've got these plants but no ears of corn. You just have to give it time. People are at different times, different places, growing. But what we need to do is not exclude ourselves. We need to really think God wants me to prosper in all things. Are you with me? He wants us. That is super important. Don't exclude money. But you should be thinking, he wants me to succeed no matter where I'm at, no matter what the job. He wants me to be the head and not the tail. If we start thinking that way, we'll start talking that way. And then our lives will begin to be governed by these truths. Let's look at a few things real quick. Turn to to John 13. God wants us to prosper in all areas. Here is an area, and we're going to touch on the three that he mentioned, but this one is really part of prospering. Uh, our, Our relationships. Our relationships are with humans. Our relationship is with God. Our relationship is with all kinds of things. We do have relationships in our lives that are not with humans. We have relationships with hobbies and different things. Everything needs its proper place. We have a relationship with our job. Everything has to have its proper place. But one big area is with people. In John 13, 34, it says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. 
sometimes when we hear the word love, if you hear certain things long enough, it sometimes doesn't always penetrate like it should. Like, you know, have you ever been to somebody's house and they said, oh, I cleaned up before you got here and you looked and you went, you did? You, you did? Because have you ever noticed some things that you leave in a place for a long time, it just disappears? You know, you got a big stack of something there and after a while, you don't even see that anymore. Somebody else walks in or you walk into somebody's house and they went, we knew you were coming so we cleaned up and you went, you did? I'm not trying to be mean, but isn't that truthful in life? You know, you put certain things and after a while, it's like you don't even know that's there. And sometimes we can hear certain things and we just hear love, 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 love one another and, and it's just, it's like it's there, but is it doing something? What if we change the word and said, care for one another? Care about other people. A new, a new commandment I give you that you care about other people. Oh, I would rather just love them. Well, it's connected. And, or, or we use this, and these are in the meaning of love, or be kind. So when he said, a new commandment I give you, that you, you be kind to one another, that you care for one another, look at the next part, uh, as I have loved you or cared about you and have been kind toward you and have looked at you favorably, that you also love one another. In other words, I experience this, this is God's way toward you, this is God's way toward me. He said, this is how I ought to be toward other people, love one another. Now, I realize you preach that, that can come across real strong, and for some, and for some people there may be some glitches. Turn to Romans. This is, it is true God wants us to prosper, it is true that he wants us to prosper in all things and he wants us to prosper in all our relationships and everything. But how many of you know if you turn on the TV right now, there are wars and rumors of wars. There are gang fights. There are murders in our cities. There's all these things. Those are all connected to relationships. Doesn't God want all things to prosper. Those don't bring prosperity when one country bombs another country. So we can see right away that even though God wants certain things, certain things don't always happen. But for us, we can work them and they can happen. But notice this in Romans, the 13th chapter, and I think this, or 12th chapter, this will give light in this area of love. Sure, we care. Sure, we're kind. But there can be caustic and toxic things in people and nations and things like that that we can't just go, well, they invaded that country, let's just forgive them. No, because there was something that drove them to do that, they'll do it again, and they promoted, they'll do it again. So we may not be bitter, but we're going to do justice. It's not our job as the people, but it is our government's job to do that. When they don't do it, there's something wrong. 
Thank you. Notice verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you. Romans 12, 18. Live peaceably with all men. How many of you know, even though I'm to love one another and to care for one another, it doesn't always bring about the proper results and effect in other people. So as much as lies in me, I can do my part, but it's not always going to cure everything. That's important to know, because there are designing people in the world. Not everybody responds to love. The scripture is clear about that. Some people think, well, if everybody just loves everybody and does certain things, everybody is going to give love back. You know, somebody said, well, what about that scripture in Romans or 1 Corinthians 13? It said in the King James, love never fails. Well, look at it in other translations. It literally means it never becomes obsolete and never comes to an end. Well, we know because God is love and he'll go on forever. But if you think just loving other people is going to change them, you are sadly mistaken. Even in evangelizing, the Bible tells us using love on people making the difference. And for those who don't respond, it says use fear. In other words, God paid for it. He bought it. Whatever, who cares? There is a hell. You'll burn there. Using fear. Not everybody is motivated by love. It's sad. And God is love. And it is our way. And it should be the priority. But we need to realize just because we give love, and we should, does not mean everybody's just going to change. In some of these countries that are war at war right now, one country had given one country um, property. And people said, well, give them land and it'll change things. And they've attacked them. And they gave them more land they've attacked. And this last one was bigger. Well, to me, that would seem like a pretty good demonstration of land or a demonstration of love to give them land. Somebody said, yeah, but they have kind of kept rulership there. Yeah, because every time they give them freedom, they go nuts on them. Well, then love is not going to uh, change them. Now, the message of the gospel can, but we're probably going to have to use uh, some fences, some walls, and different things like that, and boundaries. And... In your life, you're going to probably need to use tanks and guns too in some relationships. Or wait, wait, boundaries, just boundaries. You get where I'm coming from? But you don't want their illness to make you become ill and bitter. Thank you. This is prospering. It is a good thing to prosper because of, in these ways of thinking, because if I think, hey, I'm nice to my neighbor and they're crazy all the time and I'm doing my best and what's the problem here, God? Love never fails. No, it doesn't become obsolete. It will go on forever, but it doesn't always bring the proper results in other people, but it will have a tremendous effect on you. 
And for a lot of people, it will have a profound positive effect. And it will have that in your house. But you can have a house divided. Because you can have saved people and unsaved people. And you can have people who want to follow God and people who don't want to follow God. You can be praying, believing, but as much as lies within us. Amen. Just hit that and move on. You know when the Bible talks about fiery darts? I think I felt a couple. No. No, I think it's fair to look at because if we have an unrealistic expectation that if I'm just kind, everything's going to change and everybody's going to always treat me right, I'm going to be sadly mistaken. We need a soft and tender heart and thick skin. In heaven, you don't need thick skin. But here, you kind of do. It's the truth. Because not everybody's going to act perfect here. That's why he said, the part that's our responsibility, we do the caring, we do the loving. But at the same time, we can know what boundaries are. We, we can forgive, but forgive does not remove some boundaries. Thank you. I didn't even hardly get a grunt out of that. Anyway, so relationships. Now we're just going to go through these real quick. He said that you would prosper, be in health. Like I said, prosperity is not about money, but it is. Here's what we need to do about prosperity. This will help us. It's clear in Scripture Things like this are in there. He became poor, so you might have a full supply. The Bible tells us things for success. He became a curse, so the blessing might be on you. That's a perspective that God wants you to prosper in all things. But one thing that you're going to need to do about prosperity, and all need to do, and everybody will, is you need to manage it, all the areas of prosperity well, and you need to feed the prosperity perspective in all areas. Not just money, but all areas. All areas of prosperity. Success. That is a Bible term, having good success in all areas. In gardening. I mean, it doesn't matter whatever it is. God would have you to have good success. You say, well, I don't think so, so I'm not going to garden. No problem. Don't. But I am saying, wherever it is that you want to set your hand to, he would like to help you prosper and give you the wisdom. And so we need to feed that mentality and that heart attitude of he wants me to succeed. How would he want me not to succeed here, then when I get to heaven, succeed? Or succeed here and then not succeed there? I mean, think about it. People who live in the earth who are saved, he wants them to be successful, but it won't match the success of heaven. People in hell, the be- the, the, this is the only heaven they're going to ever know. It's just going to get worse. And so we need to realize God doesn't want it just bad. That doesn't mean there won't be persecution. That doesn't mean there won't be pressures. That doesn't mean there won't be temptations. But in all of it, He wants us to win and succeed. He wants you to overcome temptation. That's success. He wants you to be able to fix problems when they come up. That is success. 
Amen? Thank you. So the first thing is really feeding this prosperity perspective. The next area, because beloved, I would that you would prosper and be in health. The next thing is health. Health. What about health? Well, without going into great detail, there's maybe a good way to look at this is there's a natural approach and a spiritual approach to health. And we need to be balanced in this and not be unbalanced and think, well, the natural side of health means nothing, therefore I just believe in divine health. Or, uh, forget the divine health, I don't believe in that, it's all about the natural, and if you eat grapes and grape nuts every morning and cereal, and you know, you eat fruits and nuts and you're this, then you, you can cure everything. That's a lie. It's just flat a lie. Are you with me? Or you would go to the doctor and they wouldn't give you a pill. They'd shove a banana in your mouth. Because they know there are limitations. And when the Bible talks about health, he said, he tells us uh, about how we're to do some bodily exercise. It says it profits us now. And we're to do things in moderation and self-control when it comes to food. And these are two areas. Somebody said, I'm out of control. Well, if you're saved, uh, there are some things you can do naturally. And what I am not teaching is by next month, we're all going to be running marathons. That's the way for, that's not what he's trying to teach when, when he talks about bodily exercise profits in the here and now. It does profit. It doesn't profit in eternity because you'll have a, a new body people amen to that but you know there are things we can do that would help us the bible we've been teaching on this for a while now that it's not just your thinking it's what comes out of your mouth that actually governs your life and the bible said god has not given us a spirit of fear but a power and a love and of a sound mind and self-control all of us have a spirit the spirit of god to help us to control our lives But often we negate his ability to work through us by things we say and have said for years. You ready? Now remember, I'm not condemning anybody. I've done this. People have done this. I'm just throwing this out there. I'll tell you what. Don't get that ice cream around me because I just won't have one bite. I'll have the whole, I'll, I'll eat the whole thing. I'll eat the whole gallon. We can't have that around. Don't open the chips. I'll eat the whole bag. And we say that over and over and over, and we wonder why we're having a tough time with self-control. Remember, I said, don't. It's getting awful quiet. I could hear rocks in people's pockets. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with eating chips or ice cream or whatever. Or maybe even binging here and there. But one thing we should do is start saying, I have control, Uh, God lives in me, these things don't control me. We maybe have been saying it for years and it may take a little bit to get us turned around. Thank you. Just trying to help. 
it's true. And how does this work? We have the spirit of self-control, so we should just start saying. And like I said, it can take time to turn it because maybe we've been saying things that have been hurting us for a long time. Physical and natural. And if you fall off the wagon and eat too much ice cream, just stay with it. I have control. This doesn't control me. I control it. Somebody's like, I control it. I eat the whole thing. No. I'm saying, say, I I can control this. And what will happen is, really what you're doing is introducing a new thought, a new attitude, and you're believing in the ability of the Spirit to help you. And... And this works in different areas. So he said, beloved, I would that you be prosper in all things and be in health. But how many of you realize if you diet and you exercise, that is not healing in health. And it doesn't withhold certain things from your life. But it can help your life. It can help your joints. It can help your blood pressure. It can help different areas. But, but there are people who weigh a perfect amount and exercise and their blood pressure is high. Or they, they, they do have diabetes and they look the picture of health. Well, you can't tell them eat another this or don't eat that because they're not eating it. So there's a dual side to this about beloved I would that you would prosper in all things, it would have to include this and be in health. Notice it doesn't even say be healed. It means to get in a state of health. God wants that. Isaiah 53 said himself bore in his own body our pains, our suffering, sickness, disease, And these different things, infirmities, and by his stripes you were healed. In other words, they were paid for, but we have to take hold of them. And just like prosperity, this has to become a foundational thought that God wants me healthy and whole, and not just by my own means. And he's not depending on me to run a marathon to be able to attain this life. Or never eat anything other than stuff that's, you know, grown off of a tree. Because the day is going to come, I'm going to need something. That, that changing diet is not going to get it. Well, then that would affect prosperity. Are you with me? So how can I work that in me? I need to start saying long before, like Psalm 91 says, it shall not come near me. But if I don't say the Lord is my refuge, he provided for me, and I start saying things like I do about a bag of potato chips, well, the flu season's coming, I'll be the first one to get it. And you'll hear people talk like that. And you know what? They got their mitt out. They're ready to catch it. Somebody said, well, I started saying it, and I got the flu right off. Just stick with it. Stick with it. Build yourself up. Just like, well, okay, I'm going to say, 
chips don't have control over me. And somebody invites you to a Mexican restaurant and the bowl's gone. And they're like, and you realize that was me that just did that. And I just got done saying chips will not dominate me. I dominated those chips. (laughs) Something's got to change. Stick with it. Are you with me? And don't do it right there in the restaurant with everybody. I curse those things. Those chips won't control me. In Jesus' name. We were out to eat some of the leaders the other night. And I just went, I'm not having any more bread. And me and Mike were talking. And I unconsciously just grabbed the bread. And I pulled it back and I went, whoa. No, I didn't eat it. I did put it back. But I did. I unconsciously grabbed it. And then Mike grabbed it and said, I said, man, I unconsciously did that. And then he reached down and grabbed it and started buttering it. And he said, I consciously did that. <laughs> but, but what I'm getting at is we can grow in these things. Are you with me? And we have to approach them with the right perspective. So health has been paid for. But there are certain natural things you've got to do too. The Bible said one guy was sick in the Bible near unto death because he didn't regard his own body. But it said God still had mercy on him and he was healed. But you can't neglect your body forever and think, well, no big deal. I don't have to wear a jacket. It's 12 degrees outside and, you know, I'll just believe God. Well, you may get frostbite. And you may have to believe God then. There's a natural side and a spiritual side. And we need a right perspective in these areas. He has paid for healing. Are you with me? I know people who, you know, they were praying they had some stuff in their body and God told them to cut coffee out or lose some weight and their joints went back normal. Well, why couldn't they just say, I believe God. Because if I'm carrying an extra 50 pounds and I plan on hiking, I'm going to get tired. So if I lose that weight, it's going to help me not to be tired. It's not divine, but it has divine order. Are you with me? Everybody okay? Hungry, Hungry, right, for (laughs) potato chips. But see, she'll just dominate the chip. No, I'm kidding. The last one is this, uh, where he said, prosper, be in health, even as your soul prospers. Soul prosperity is a huge thing. That's an internal prosperity. That's where peace dominates you. God wants peace inside of you. The Bible said he gave his peace in Philippians 4 to guard your heart and guard your mind. Uh, part of producing, allowing that peace to come forth is properly seeing these different areas right too. Because if I all of a sudden haven't done the right thing with my body and now all of a sudden I'm hitting some issues because of that, then I might think, great, it's over with. No, there's still divine healing. You can change in that area and you can get healed. But if you don't think correct, it's going to affect your internal peace. What are we going to do? I don't see the money. 
casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And he will supply all your need. And so the idea is this, internal peace is prosperity too, and that comes from God. And we can increase that by how we talk and how we think and how we act. Really, these are so interconnected, how we feed that inward part of us. So when he said there, Beloved, I would that you would prosper in all things and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Let me say this, some of the reasons we revert back to non-prosperity things is because we're not prospering internally. Are you with me? I've watched this over the years where, like a New Year's resolution, uh, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and everything's going to change this year and two weeks later I'm doing the same thing I did last year. The, the reason is, is because they're not that internally yet. So we always revert back to what we are in our heart. The Bible said, as a man thinks in his heart, so he acts out life. And so what we need to do is realize this foundation, I need to start thinking, God wants me to succeed. God wants me to be in health. He's provided for this. He's provided for my peace. When I start thinking like that, he said, he whose mind is stayed on him, he will keep him in divine peace. Well, this is a huge thing to our inward prosperity. And if your mind gets out of control, you need to start talking. God's given me peace. And I'll close with this thought. He said, put off all these things and put on all these in Colossians, the third chapter. The primary way we put things on and put things off is by voice. Some of them take time. How do we put clothes on? A friend of mine from California who used to be a secretary where, we, where I worked, and her and her husband, he was, her husband was a youth pastor, and I knew him, and I happened to work with her. And he had this demented personality, which I appreciated so much, his humor. But his wife, it's kind of rubbed off on her, so she posts this video this year of some family Christmas party where they're all, I'm a Christian, I'm just talking, got like jock straps, you know, around their legs, and without their hands, I mean, the kids, the adults, I mean, everybody's on the floor running around the room trying to put this on without your hands. What a youth crowd breaker. And... um I was like, man, that guy's a youth pastor, and he's not anymore, and he's forcing this on his family, and they're all trying to put it on, trying to get it up around their waist without touching with their hands. Some people are trying to put things on without their hands. It works better with your hands, and when we want to put on kindness and put off hatred and put on prosperity, which is technically ours, you have to use your spiritual hands, which is your mouth. Jesus did it. Others did it. 
You need to start saying, I've got the love of God. God wants me to prosper. He's for me and not against me. Why? Because we've been trained our whole life one way or the other. For some people, they think, yeah, this is totally obvious what you're saying. Other people are like, nuh-uh. And everywhere in between. And it's because we've been influenced. But who's going to do it now? The psalmist said, my he said, I've hid your word in my heart. And another place he said, my tongue has written them. My tongue is as the tongue of the ready writer. So one thing I'm going to need to do is say, God's for my success. And stay with it. Amen? And say, I've got the peace of God, even when you don't notice it. And start putting off things that are robbing your peace. Peace.